Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We are here to celebrate uh, Easter, the resurrection. My name is Chris Kretzu. I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you guys for uh, choosing to spend part of your Sunday here. There's all kinds of fun stuff happening today and, and photo booths and Easter bunnies and skateboards and little baby chicks out there, uh, the animals, uh, little chickens, uh, and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. And, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Thanks for those of you that are watching online as well. I saw a few people online. Thank you guys for spending your Easter with us. Um, you know, one of the, the fun things about Easter for me is that um, I don't really have to come up with a new topic of what to preach on on this Sunday. Uh, everybody kind of knows uh, what 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 what's the message going to be about this week. I wonder, uh, and so we get to we get to talk about something that we're we're familiar with. And so whether you're here because. This is uh, your home, and, and there's nowhere you would rather be on a Sunday morning, or, you, or maybe you're here because you just feel all of the religious guilt that you grew up with, and it's like, I got to go to Easter service, uh, or maybe somebody bribed you to be here. They bribed you with lunch or, or uh, something like that. I'm grateful for you guys being here, and we get to celebrate this together. Um, I want to uh, talk just briefly about today. It's a little bit different because um, oftentimes at South Hills, we talk about the things that Jesus taught us, the things that Jesus said, and what does that mean for our lives? How do we apply that to our lives today in 2022? What does that look like for me as a husband or a parent or a co-worker, employee, whatever it might be? Um, That's what we talk about a lot, but Today, what we're talking about is the reason why we think any of that matters. Today, what we're talking about is the reason why we think that we should listen to any of the things that Jesus said in the first place. Today is a, a, an important and a beautiful day. We get to celebrate Easter. And I want to invite you back in time, just kind of in, in the hours and maybe the moments before that first Easter, before Easter was a thing before Easter ever happened, because I think in those few hours, in, those, in, that, in that day or so before that Easter happened, that first Easter morning, I think we can find and we can see some of the most powerful and compelling reasons for why it is we should or why we could believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is worth following and trusting and obeying, why we could consider becoming a follower of Jesus. If you're here and and you're not sure where you fall on that spectrum, uh, maybe you totally don't believe, or maybe you're you're kind of in on some of it, I think that we're going to talk about some things that can help us understand why we should consider following or maybe following again if we've kind of given up hope on this thing. Because the reality is, is if I were to sit down with you over coffee and I got to hear some of your story and maybe some of your experiences um, I, I, and hear a little bit of why it is that you don't believe or why you don't go to church or why you don't know if any of this is worth kind of believing or holding on to, I would, I would probably say something along the lines of, uh, who could blame you? Who could blame you? 
if you've had experiences um, in churches or maybe with, with church people, I heard one person say, um, bad church people happen to good people. Uh, we've had experiences where people have heard us or said things or they've treated us a certain way or maybe a church has, has failed us in a certain way and, and we've been wounded in the past and, and I, I get that. I've experienced some of that in my own life. Or maybe you grew up and somebody was always telling you, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and maybe they were even using some of those verses or scriptures as ways to kind of control you or hurt you or kind of as weapons almost. And then as you got older, you actually read the rest of the stuff that the Bible says. And and you said, well, I'm not sure about this. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if this is how this is supposed to work. And again, I I think I would say, who who can blame you? I get it. I understand. I've been in your position before. So for the next few minutes, I want to take you back in time to a moment before there were any Christians, a moment before there were any churches. Uh, I want to take you back in time to a place to look at something that happened, and it involved a group of people who found themselves wrestling with a similar feeling of skepticism and doubt and mistrust. So on the afternoon of Jesus' crucifixion, most scholars, as they've kind of worked through different things that scriptures and historical papers say, they, they believe it kind of uh, finished that Jesus breathed his last breath some, somewhere mid-afternoon, around three in the afternoon. And after that happened, two men, one named Nicodemus and one named Joseph of Arimathea, um, they, they asked Pilate, the, the Roman kind of ruler in charge, if they could take his body off of the cross and put it in a tomb. Now, this is interesting to me, and I hope it becomes interesting to you, uh, because this wasn't a normal thing. Uh, We can kind of maybe assume that once people die, we bury them. But crucifixion at that time, uh, the the point of crucifixion wasn't just to kill someone. There's a lot easier and faster ways to, to do that. The point of crucifixion was to strike fear into everyone's hearts that saw it, to cause them to second guess any thought that they might have that would make them want to live a different way or push back against the rulers. It was, it was to terrorize people. And it was to kind of make this person that was crucified just disappear. It's a little bit grotesque. I won't go into all the details, but after a crucifixion ended, they would just leave them on the cross for days and weeks. And then eventually when the body had decomposed enough, they would just dump it outside of the city so that its remains would be taken off by other animals. The goal was that this person would be erased from memory. And so you have Joseph and, uh, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, these kind of two prominent leaders in the city. They go to Pilate and they ask, can we take this body and can we put it in a tomb? They risked kind of their social standing, their, their uh, reputations for this. And after they said yes, they took the body and they quickly prepared it for burial. There were some traditional things that they would do. And they had to finish it before the sun set. So they did this really quickly. And it says in scriptures that they put the body in a new tomb. Joseph and Nicodemus had hoped, they had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had put their trust and their faith in this reality that he was who he said he was. But now he was dead. 
And you can almost imagine that what they're wrestling with as, as they are kind of going through disappointment and, and discouragement and, and grief over losing a loved one and at the same time realizing, well, even if he wasn't the Savior, he didn't deserve to die this way. And so trying to put him in a tomb and, and provide this proper burial, but the whole time just realizing and thinking that they had been wrong about Jesus. Other places, you guys hear Leanne over there now? You heard her say it. You can probably hear me over there. So nobody has more fun than the kids in that classroom. So uh, if you guys could go back in time, this is the church where you would want to go as a kid. Other places around the city, you have, you know, the disciples kind of had scattered and, and were scared that the Roman rulers would come for them too. Thomas, who would be nicknamed Doubting Thomas, which is kind of brutal. Uh, he, he had a few doubts, unlike you, I'm sure. And for thousands of years, everyone's just called him Doubting Thomas. Uh, it's, a, it's a rough nickname. But he had fled the city. Um, John and Matthew and James, they were hiding, huddled, and again, grieving the loss of a loved one, someone that they had spent time with and begun to, to bond with and care about and someone believed that they believed was the Messiah. So they're not only grieving the loss of someone that they cared for, but they're also at the same time, they're trying to process, was it all a lie? Was he not who we thought he was? How do we process? How do we deal with that? Elsewhere, there was a group of women that were brokenhearted. Jesus' mother was there for the crucifixion. And you can imagine maybe what she was processing at the loss of her son and other women grieving together and with her. So you have confused citizens, you have scared and, and kind of uh, frustrated disciples who had bought into this thing that apparently was a lie. You have grieving mother, you have the, the Roman rulers who were happy that this problem was dealt with. You have the, the, the other religious leaders that were happy that this wasn't an issue anymore. And the one person that you would have not found on that first Easter was a believer, a Christian. There were no Christians that day. There was no one that believed that Jesus was who he said he was. How could he be the, the savior? He couldn't even save himself. And there's a piece of it that I think is really important for us to recognize today. Again, whether you're a Christian or whether you're still kind of exploring this thing. But at that point in time, the disciples and Jesus' followers had given up on the idea of continuing to teach this message because it wasn't the message or the stories or the parables or the ideas that Jesus taught that made him worth following. It was who he said he was. And if he's dead, then none of it matters anymore. None of those teachings matter anymore. It drove religious leaders crazy who Jesus claimed to be. It wasn't actually those ideas or the teachings that got him crucified. It was who he claimed he was. We talk a lot about the teachings of Jesus. And if you ask most people, they're like, yeah, Jesus is great, regardless of what their faith is. They're, yeah, Jesus taught good things. And he was loving and inclusive, and he welcomed in outsiders. And, and I would agree with those types of things. But also, Jesus taught a lot of things that people didn't like. Jesus taught a lot of things that are difficult for us to even come to grips with. It's not like everything he taught was like, yes, I'm all in. That's easy. Uh, forgive people a thousand times. Totally. Turn the cheek. Yes. Another one of Jesus' really popular teachings. Pay your taxes. Well, what other religions are there? Uh, 
He didn't always, his teaching, yes, he was loving and caring and he included and he healed and he taught good things and he offered rest, but he also taught things that not everybody was thrilled about. So it's not his teachings or his parables or these stories that he told that everybody was always so excited about. It was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. He would say things like, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. He said that in John chapter 11. In John chapter 14, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, these ideas, difficult for people to kind of process. He is claiming to be God. And that was a really big thing for people to process at that time. It'd probably be a big thing for people to process here today too. On one occasion, actually, Jesus was teaching on a hillside and he was saying some things that people really didn't like. They were very unhappy with. They were difficult things. And the, uh, the story tells us that people started to grumble and they actually got up and started to leave in the middle of his teaching, which, I mean, I feel pretty good because nobody's ever left in the middle of my sermons. So I'm probably a better teacher than Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I can't even say the whole sentence. I was joking. Uh, <laughs> but he's teaching these things that people are leaving. And the disciples that are with Jesus, you could tell that they start to get uncomfortable. And Jesus knew that they were starting to get uncomfortable as well. And so he turns and he says, are you going to leave also? I, I recognize that these aren't easy teachings, but are you going to also leave? And, and Peter, one of the disciples, he responds. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what Peter is essentially saying, if we can kind of read between the lines here, is he's saying, even though I don't necessarily love everything that you're teaching, I believe who you are, and so for that reason, I'm going to stay. Because of who I believe you are. It's not because I love your teachings or your stories or your ideas. It's because of who I believe you are. But apparently they were wrong because now he was dead. And they have to wrestle and process through this. As they watched Jesus die, the movement died with him. And we know that's the case because as people went in and they wrote down their story, their eyewitness accounts of what happened at this time, none of them wrote their story or their experiences and, and saying that they believed. If it was me and if I was writing, I'd be like, nobody believed except me. I was the faithful one. They wrote themselves into these, this story, their eyewitness account. They said, we were devastated we had given up hope. We were hiding. No one was waiting outside of the tomb on the third day for that resurrection to happen. In fact, it says in John that uh, women went to the tomb on that Sunday morning before dawn because uh, they had seen Nicodemus and Joseph prepare the body for burial. And it says that they went to re-prepare the body for burial essentially saying that the women knew that the men didn't do it very well. And so they went to do it the right way, uh, which I can, I, I get. I've tried to put the pillows on my bed at home and I'm reminded that I don't know how to put pillows on a bed. So it's, it's difficult when there's 17 pillows to know the order that they go. But this isn't about me and my marriage. So 
It says the women go, not because they wanted to be there when Jesus resurrected, not because they wanted to be the first ones and, and they were the only ones that believed, but they went because they expected Jesus to be in the tomb still dead. No one believed that he would die, but once he did, everyone expected him to stay dead. Everyone expected him to remain in that tomb. So there's, at this point, there's no gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there's no New Testament, there's, there's the law and the prophets, there's Roman rulers, there's people around, there's this grieving group of disciples. And from Rome, from Rome's perspective, the gods had spoken. This so-called Messiah was no longer. And from the religious leader's perspective, Yahweh, their God had spoken and had taken care. And it's crazy because you have the empire of Rome and the religious leaders of that day working together to crucify and remove this rabbi, this teacher, this man who claimed to be the savior. That had never happened before where the empire would partner together in that way with this religious system. And I just want to pause there, and I want to fast forward a little bit, just briefly, because I think that this is fascinating and crazy, and it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. I want to pause at this moment where the Roman Empire and the religious leaders had partnered together, and fast forward 350 years, there was a Roman Empire, and I just, like for perspective, 350 years ago, it was like 16-something here. So 350 years later, from this point, it's 380 AD, we actually know it happened on February 27th. There was a Roman emperor named, I'm going to read it from my paper so I don't screw it up, Theodosius I, and he issued this decree that made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Not only that, but he actually uh, signed this other paperwork that said there will be no, no longer be state support or government support of any other religions. Any other religions that are out there are no longer supported by this empire. Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire. And that should blow our minds a little bit. Because you have Rome and this religious system working together to kill this Galilean rabbi who was teaching something that they didn't like, claiming to be someone that they didn't believe and they didn't want to fuel this. So they, they partnered to crucify him. And then 350 years later, you have the Roman Empire saying, we're all in on this faith. Christianity is true. And then if you fast forward even more today, we have people that get together every Sunday you know why we get together on Sundays? Because it reminds us of that Resurrection Sunday. And then once a year, we get together on Easter, and we all buy new shirts. Uh, and we come together on Easter because we want to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection. And people, almost a third of the world believes in this Jesus. And people travel to old Jerusalem all the time to walk in this place where this discredited and killed rabbi was crucified. What, what in the world? You have to ask this question, what happened? If that's all that you knew, that Jesus was crucified, which is actually a historical fact, there's documents, historical documents proving that. And then 350 years later, 
the Roman emperor at the time made Christianity the official religion of Rome, which we also have historical documents. So we have the crucifixion, we have the Roman religion, and then we're still doing this on Sundays together. You kind of have to ask the question, well, what happened? I've told parts of this story before. Um, my wife and I, we've got two boys, and when we were f- pregnant with our first son, it was about 16 weeks, and my wife knew that there was something that wasn't okay, and so we went to the emergency room, and we were in there for hours, and they must have run every test that you could run on a pregnant person. And finally, the doctor came back into our room, and we knew it wasn't good news because he pulled up a chair and just sat down in front of us. And he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you've lost the baby. And in that moment, obviously, even now, there's emotion and fear and sadness and anger and questions. But he's 10 now, and in the room next door, probably stuffing his face with jelly beans. (laughs) And I tell that story because... Obviously, there's something missing, right? What happened? If he had been miscarried and now he's 10 and on a sugar high, there's something that's been left out. There's some, what happened in between those moments? And what is so important for us to hold on to is that we know what happened because there was people that were there that carefully wrote down their firsthand experiences And they wrote it down, not in the Bible, but they wrote it down to tell other people because the Bible didn't exist in in its form for almost 400 years after the resurrection. There was Christians and disciples and followers of Jesus for hundreds of years before there ever was a, the Bible. Before any of this looked like it looks, people believed because of what happened. What happened between the crucifixion and this movement that transformed the Roman Empire and made its way around the world. And John chapter 20 is where we pick up this story. It says, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled, uh, removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So again, another perfect opportunity for her to write herself in or for them to identify themselves as, I knew it was true. But instead she thinks that somebody has stolen the body. Somebody has taken the body and she says, we don't know where they've put him. It goes on, Luke who later interviewed the disciples, he wrote in Luke 24, he says, they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Again, another great opportunity for one of them to write themselves into the story. And and my version of how I remember this is I believed the women because I was always the best follower of Jesus. But they were like, these women are crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Dead bodies stay dead in their graves. In verse 3 of John 20, it says that Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's a very important part of the story, right? Just a little bit of bragging. Not one of us believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but one of us is faster than the other. Um, So that's the important takeaway here. 
It says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and he believed. Maybe Jesus was who he said he was. He saw and he believed. Maybe he is the Messiah, the Savior. Maybe he did rise from the dead. He saw and he believed. The story goes on and it says that the disciples went back to the house and they were talking and confused and worried and, and just kind of like you could kind of get this idea. They're talking in circles and uh, Mary um, finds herself at the tomb still. In verse 15, it says that she heard someone speaking behind her, thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Again, just no possibility that this man this savior had been resurrected. She accuses the gardener of stealing the body. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, she turns toward him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus then goes on and he appears to the disciples and the scriptures tell us that he appears to a group of 500 people in just different places, speaking with them, caring for them, teaching them still before he ascends to heaven. And all of these people, they begin to regather. The people that had fled, they come back to the city. They start talking again, regathering again, not because of what he taught about forgiveness or not because he healed people and not because he had some good things to say and his parables were clever. They started regathering again. This movement came back together because he was who he said he was because of the resurrection, because Jesus was and is the Savior. It was the resurrection itself that caused them to re-engage because of what they saw and who they saw. There's a man named Paul, he's an apostle. And if you guys are familiar with the Bible, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. He wrote all of these letters to new churches and new Christians, helping them understand how to live the way that Jesus has called us to live. But it's fascinating because Paul didn't start off as a Christian. He actually started off hating Christians and trying to persecute and stone and kill Christians. But then he came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was as well. And this is what Paul says. He says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, which is a really big statement. What he's saying here is that if the resurrection didn't happen, none of this matters. It's all just a, a cool fairy tale. None of, it, none of it matters at all unless the resurrection really happened. The resurrection, what we celebrate today on Easter, is the reason why we can believe or hold on to or live or act any kind of way is because of this thing, apart from the single event of the resurrection. What happened? Easter happened. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus it solves a handful of history's great mysteries. It explains why there's so much detail surrounding Jesus's life 
and why it lasted past the first century. It explains why his early followers suddenly regained their courage, even though they continued to be persecuted and, and most of them martyred for their beliefs. It explains so many of these mysteries and it explains the greatest mystery for us, which is where do we stand with God? And the person that spoke the most clearly about where we stand with God was Jesus. And in John chapter three, in a verse that almost everybody probably has memorized, even if you don't believe, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then verse 17, which not as many people have memorized, but I think is equally as good news. It says, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to make us realize uh, how messed up we are or to point out all of the flaws. It wasn't for condemnation. It wasn't for, for judgment, but it was actually to save us through the gift of his life. So if you're a Jesus follower, the resurrection of Jesus means that you have peace with God. Easter means that our sins are forgiven. Our faithfulness matters. If you've ever had doubts, the resurrection story reminds us that having doubts and questions does not make us a failure because we're in good company. Everyone doubted. Everyone wondered. And we're in good company. If you believe, the resurrection teaches us and it reminds us that our belief is not uh, us being naive. It's not you know faith in faith. It's faith in this thing that happened. And if you're here today, and like I said earlier, if you're not sure where you fall on that line of whether or not I believe, whether or not I'm in on this thing, or who Jesus said he was, the resurrection gives us a reason to take that step. We don't believe because the Bible says so or because a church says so. There was believers for hundreds of years before the Bible existed because of the event of the resurrection. Christianity is faith in a person who demonstrated through his life and death and resurrection that he is worthy of our love. Not because something was written, but because something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the good news. So as we close today, we're going to sing another song in just a minute, but I want to give uh, you an, an invitation. Um, one of Jesus's uh, disciples was named Peter. And, uh, and Peter was the one that pretended like he didn't even know who Jesus was during Jesus's trial before his execution. He's like, I don't even know who that is. Good friend. Uh, but Jesus is the first one that preached after the resurrection. He preached this huge sermon to thousands of people. And as he's talking to them, he gives them this invitation. And I want to read what he said, and I want to invite you the same way. Peter said, now it is time to change your ways. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins. Pour out showers of blessing to refresh you and send you the Messiah that he prepared for you, namely Jesus. For me, most of my life, I grew up in church. My dad was a, a pastor, um, and uh, anytime I would hear a phrase like, turn and face God, it was always like, uh-oh, 
<laughs> it was like a little bit of fear, a little bit of terror of what does he know? What did he see me do? What did I do that I don't even remember? But Peter says, turn and face God so he can wipe away your sins, so he can refresh you and give you life. That's the invitation for us today. So for those of you that are Christians and followers of Jesus today, I want to remind you of the beauty of the resurrection. It's not just a topic that we talk about one out of 52 Sundays of the year. It is the only reason we're here. It's the only reason we gather. It's the only reason why we get to buy new shirts for Sundays. The resurrection of Jesus is central. And if you're here today and maybe you haven't believed or you've wrestled or had questions and, and maybe there's something that you heard today or a, an idea that just sits with you differently. I want to give you a chance to believe or maybe to believe again. So I would love to invite you all just to close your eyes and let's pray together. Heavenly Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.